0: the mothers there are expressing that they're they seeing these men actually watching them and sexualizing their kids in prison. <laughs> and really, the thought of it is just, it's one of those things that I think when you were talking about Redux being sensational, and the headlines being sensational, this is one of those things that it feels so foreign to reality like how could that possibly be happening how could that possibly be state sanctioned that we have men who have raped babies licking their lips at looking at tiny children in a women's prison in the mother baby unit how can this actually be happening it's happening
1: you are about to embark upon the great crusade the only the eyes of the world are upon you
2: hi this is wesley yang You're listening to the Year Zero podcast, which is hosted at Substack, where listeners can support this work that I'm doing. Wesleyyang.substack.com
1: Your task will not be an easy one. The road
0: ahead will be long.
1: We're going to make sure that society wins. Okay, you've just witnessed
2: a montage of headlines from the publication Redux, and I'm here with the founder of that publication, Anna Slats, who is giving her first podcast interview. I feel very honored to have the the world premiere of the founder of this very important publication, I first became aware of it around 18 months ago. It hasn't been around very long. Initially, as I tweeted earlier, I was a bit wary of the publication because it's somewhat scabrous headlines and graphic design suggested that they may have been sensationalizing some of their stories. After some months of seeing this sort of on the periphery of my vision of my various feeds uh, and looking a little more closely at the stories, I found them to be very carefully sourced and rigorously reported and I, and I came to recognize through the site the purpose that it is seeking which is that the stories are actually this deranged and and not so long ago I also tweeted that if just one week of these headlines if all of America were to pay attention to them this this thing would end in a this thing would be over in a week if people only knew and so Redux is picking up, the, picking up the ball that has been dropped by the, uh, the mainstream media, which acts in concert to actively suppress, I think it's fair to say that, the twilight zone unreality that has descended upon the Western world. It's a global phenomenon. It's a global news site. The similar, similarly depraved happenings are occurring throughout the Western world and even outside of it, where we see First Amendment rights of those who want to acknowledge biological reality being systematically assaulted. We see transgender activists and ideologues assaulting women in the streets. And we we see the very worst of our society, it's serial murderers and rapists having their feelings Recognized, supported, and coddled by the penal system, and allowing and allowing violent men to identify, violent men who say there are women, to identify into women's prisons, um, a, a totally unspeakable scenario. That is a kind of one in a long series of reductio ad absurdum of this of this movement and the way it has has marched through various institutions totally unimpeded so anyway that's my own rant about the subject matter that that Redux is about let's go through the top 10 you'll quickly summarize these stories and i'll
0: try my best because uh, when you had written me and you were dm'd me and you were like can you give me the top 10 craziest stories that was actually a challenge
1: mm, like, right.
0: i truly couldn't think of which ones to prioritize i truly could not so i'm gonna try my best here okay (laughs) but you also have to understand that i have nothing goes out of redux without my grubby little hands
1: Mm -hmm. and at this point
0: i think we're hitting i think we've actually surpassed a thousand stories that we've Mm. done in total yeah and that's a lot of information yes (laughs) and my brain is very small
2: So you you do quite a bit of just repackaging stuff that's been reported elsewhere, but you often have a lot of detail that doesn't appear elsewhere. And then you also have a lot of exclusives.
0: Yeah. The thing about if we're going to be newsjacking, so that would be reporting on reporting that's already been done. Mm. I always want there to be something that we can add to the conversation. Yeah. And I tell that to my writers Mm. can't add something to the conversation. Is it really worth putting it out? Probably not. Let's at least try to add one piece of information that hasn't been exposed before that's if we're going to cover stuff that's already out there in the domain yeah Uh, but more often than not especially lately it has been a hell of a lot of exclusives original reporting or adding so much to the conversation like the story that we put out today that it's almost original reporting in and of itself and i prefer that though obviously we're going to put out whatever we think is good enough to put out
2: what did you put out today
0: so today it was in, it was in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, a a high school tennis teacher, tennis coach, who is transgender, mm. is up for rehiring. And this is despite the fact that he had changed in the locker room with the teen girls. yeah, And they had apparently been able to discern that he was intact, that he was a male. Uh, So you can derive from that what you wish, probably, that he had gotten naked enough for them to be able to see it. Now, that was actually an exclusive broken by the Epoch Times. Mm. But our Yulia Alma, she went above and beyond, because like I said, we like to add to the conversation. She actually spoke to a member of the board, the school district board, who has been uh, getting major harassment for expressing that she does not feel like this individual should be rehired. Um, And uh, this board member had actually accessed the reprimand, the original reprimand that was filed against this teacher for changing the locker rooms. We actually found that there was an entire other incident that the Epoch Times had not reported on, uh, probably because they didn't know, in which this individual, this transgender tennis teacher had actually been questioning the girls on their menstrual cycles and on their panties mm. and so that was our big addition to the story that was originally broken by the epic times is a third incident involving some pretty disturbing conversations between the trans teacher yeah and the, the girls
2: and he has been rehired
0: Uh, He's up for rehiring. So the board is going to reconvene in September for voting. They've been taking public opinion. There has been a lot of public opinion in favor of him and that the board member that Yulia spoke to seems to believe that was orchestrated to try and get as many pro pro this teacher's voice as possible.
2: Who's going to be in favor of rehiring that person? It's completely insane.
0: Yeah, and this board (laughs) member that Yulia spoke to has been been effectively told that she may be held personally liable for voting against his rehiring if he decides to sue the school district for discrimination because that's what the school district is concerned about right now is that uh, he's going to come after them. If they don't rehire him, they're going to say it's a, a discrimination suit in waiting and they are threatening this school board member who does not want to have him rehired and is going to vote against it. They're threatening her with legal liability in the event that they are sued for not rehiring him.
2: Unbelievable. Okay, so just another day working at Redux, right? (laughs) Yeah, so we're going to go back to June of 2023. Trans activists sent to women's prison to serve a life sentence for slaughter of California family just uh give some of the i know that this person he's like a noted trans activist and then he ended up i believe murdering a black lesbian family and their son is that right
0: That is correct. So this is Dana Rivers. And uh, this is a story that Genevieve Gluck had also been keeping an eye on as well, for a really long time, because this had been anticipated. So the story that you're looking at in particular, this is once it was confirmed that he was going to be going to a women's prison, but we had figured that for about a year now. But Dana Rivers was the OG, gender ideology advocate. And it's actually quite funny, because so much of his story parallel what we have going on today. He was a school teacher who got fired from his job because he was discussing the intimate details of his sexuality and his gender transition with his students. <laughs> That's you. It could have been today, right? It could have yeah. been today.
2: How long ago did um, that happen?
0: So that was in the nineties. That was in the late nineties.
2: <laughs> this was,
0: I think, nineteen ninety-eight. Okay, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, but yeah, he was fired from his job as a school teacher. He worked at a high school because he was discussing being sexually abused growing up and his gender transition and all of these sorts of things with his students and the parents objected to that and they said you should have spoken to us first basically
2: when had he had transitioned
0: i can't quite recall but he was already a
2: female he was a fully transitioned female presenting person at the time he was
0: teaching he was
1: yeah okay
0: and yeah, the parents objected to it. They said, You didn't ask our consent. We would have appreciated being told that you were going to be having these kinds of conversations with our kids. Again, it's something that it seems so familiar. <laughs> like, it's right. like we're hearing this every day now. Yeah. Some teacher discussing inappropriate shit with their students without parental consent. He just mirrored it to today. Yeah. But yeah, so Rivers was fired. He sued. He sued the school district. He won. Mm. He got, I think, $100,000 or something like this. And he became a noted. Prominent transact. He was on Good Morning America. That picture there in the graphic—that's him speaking at a the Million Millennium March, which was like a major Gay Pride March. He had a keynote speech there. It was broadcast on C-SPAN. He was in all kinds of shows. He wrote all kinds of op-eds. He was honored by all kinds of clubs in California for equality and human rights. And then he became involved with a group of activists who had been protesting this women's festival called to Fest, the Michigan Women's Festival. And Michigan Women's Festival was getting protested by trans activists because they didn't allow men. <laughs> it was like women only and they had a woman born woman policy like you had to be female to be there. Yes. And so Rivers and his cohorts would gather outside of Mitchfest and and protest and they would harass the women going inside. Sometimes these they'd call themselves camp trans. Sometimes they would distribute really disturbing flyers with threats on them and really rapey pornographic imagery. But effectively what happened was Rivers murdered a family. He was involved in a motorcycle club called the Deviants and had briefly interacted with one of the women of the family he would go on to murder. And he was considered the enforcer of the motorcycle club. And I guess when she didn't want to be involved in the motorcycle club, and she was only involved for a couple of months, like she was not like a hardcore <laughs> motorcyclist or anything like that. She was not like some outlaw. She was involved for a little bit, realized it was a bit weird, and then left. And Rivers went to, to, to their home and murdered them, murdered the entire family. It was two women, a lesbian couple, and their son. And what happened was he was was, arrested. That
2: was like in 2000, whatever, six or something like that.
0: 2006. Yeah. And he was arrested at the scene he was covered in blood. He had all the weapons. He admitted even to being involved in the crime when he was in police custody, though he did plead not guilty as far as I remember. And it just became this long ass trial because they kept having to send him for like psychological assessments psychological assessments and all of health assessments, his health was declining, all of this kind of shit. And then finally he was found guilty last year, late last year, I believe it was November. He was found guilty. They had to send him for further evaluation as to whether or not he was going to be sent to a psychiatric institution Wait, or a prison.
2: It took fourteen years for him to be found guilty.
0: Yeah, it did. <laughs> the trial
2: went for fourteen years.
0: Yes. Yeah, it did. He was found guilty. But
2: he was in prison throughout that whole time, I assume, right?
0: Yes, he was in Alameda County. Okay. Yeah. So he was in the county jail. And he was sentenced. Yeah. He was sentenced to life in prison. And then there was a further time. There were many months in between these sections happening of being found guilty and the sentencing happening, and then finally. That he was going to go to a woman's prison because there was some speculation he was going to be sent to a psychiatric institution. But we all knew that if he was sent to a prison, he was going to a woman's prison. We all knew that because he's legally, on his documentation, he's legally female. We knew that.
2: Yeah. When did the law pass allow, in California allowing men to identify into women's prisons?
0: So that was, that's SB 132. And that was passed, I want to say, it went into effect in 2020, January of 2020. Mm, mm. You have to fact check me there because I'm not entirely... Okay, sure, if it was 2020 or 2021 right. then it went into effect mm-hmm. and SB 132 is total gender self-identification in prison housing yeah so if you are legally female like Dana Rivers was in terms of that all of your documentation has been changed yeah you're almost instantaneously going to be sent to it's, it's almost a guarantee you're going to be sent to a women's institution if you identify as a woman following your incarceration, yeah. which you can do that at any point. I've right. already spoken to the California Department of uh, Corrections and Rehabilitation. They actually sent us the form
1: mm. because
0: you actually don't even need and this. Is, this killed me when I found this out because I found this out last year while I was looking into a, uh, a pedophile that had been moved from a men's prison to a women's prison in California. And I was very confused by it, because he was still legally male
1: when Mm. he was moved. Right. And he
0: was also denied a name change. He was actually denied a gender change and a name change. Okay. Likely because of his crime. He had molested a four-year-old girl. And I was trying to figure out how this could have happened. So I was in contact with the CDCR, and they sent me this questionnaire that is like their gender identity questionnaire. And they effectively said, you don't even need to identify as a woman. You just need to identify as not a man. <laughs> so that could be anything. Mm-hmm. Gender nonconforming. Yeah. Binary. Right. Gender queer, gender fluid. They had so many different labels that you could ascribe to yourself. But basically, so long as you didn't identify as a man, male mm-hmm. man. Yeah. You can apply for transfer to a women's institution. You don't even need to legally be female. For that to happen, as we found out in that case of that pedophile, you can just not identify as a male. That's it. That's all you need. And you can be considered for transfer.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on to... Are you seeing this now? Yeah.
1: Yes, I am. Yeah.
2: Okay. Canadian man who raped infant quietly moved to prison with mother-baby unit after transgender claim.
0: Yeah, so this is a story that was exposed originally by Heather Mason, who is a Canadian woman. She's a incarcerated women's rights advocate here in Canada. She's a former federal prisoner, and now she does a lot of advocacy for women on the inside, and she has been super vocal about the transfer of males to women's prisons in Canada. The thing that I do want to make clear here for those who are not familiar with Canada's criminal justice system, is I don't think Americans quite appreciate how much information is available to you. You guys can go to any state and you can look at the inmate directory or you can see your sex offender registry because it's all public. There's the National Sex Offender Registry. There are state sex offender registries. There are the state prisons, the state jails. Really, you have access to 100% of the information that you need with respect to individuals who are convicted of any kind of crime. We don't have that in Canada. Mm. And there is no public sex offender registry. There is no public inmate list. Prisons cannot even confirm or deny if an inmate is at their facility. Say you're trying to track somebody down. And unless you are like a relative to them or you are involved in their case in some way or something like this, you don't even have a right to know that. And they don't have to tell you and they won't most of the time.
1: Mm.
0: It's thanks to people like Heather that information like this can actually come out here in Canada. because mm-hmm. she has direct contact with women on the inside. Yeah. And she can bring that forward. Yeah. So this is, yeah, this is a man who has actually been in a women's prison for a, a number of years now. But Heather had brought out some new information that she, and she also spoke to us about it, where some of the women <laughs> on the inside were expressing some concerns about him. And that's why we went ahead and we published it. But His name is Adam Labucan. And he was convicted of brutally raping an infant to the point that the child actually needed to be, like, airlifted to emergency reconstructive surgery. That is how brutal the sexual assault was. And he began identifying as a woman after being convicted. He was moved to a women's prison. And the women's prison that he is at has a mother-baby unit. (laughs) Because here in Canada, as in, honestly, most of the world... Female inmates are not nearly as dangerous as male inmates. They don't nearly have as many violent crimes that they've committed, and most female inmates are non-violent. So the female prisons often have mother-baby units because it's important to not separate, especially if it's a very young child, from the mother or to at least have that skin-to-skin contact or the ability for a mother to interact with her child. We understand it's important, and it's not a risk to the kid. Or it wasn't, I should say, It wasn't a risk to the kid, until they started allowing men into women's prisons who have actually sexually assaulted children. And the new information that was presented here was basically that Labukan, as well as another transgender inmate in that same in that same facility, have basically been leering at the children in the daycare in the mother baby area where the mothers interact with their children. The mothers there are expressing that. They're they, they are seeing these men actually watching them and sexualizing their kids in prison. <laughs> and really, the thought of it is just, it's one of those things that I think when you were talking about Redux being sensational, and the headlines being sensational, this is one of those things that it feels so foreign to reality. Like, how could that possibly be happening? How could that possibly be state-sanctioned that we have men who have raped babies? licking their lips at looking at tiny children in a women's prison in the mother-baby unit. How can this actually be happening? It's happening. This is the example and the female inmates inside communicating through Heather Mason have told us this.
2: So Heather Mason picks up or uses her prison phone time to give you a call, provides you an account. The, the prison doesn't... Heather
0: Mason's no longer in prison. Okay, Sorry, I just want to make that clear. She's right. formerly... Uh, okay,
2: know. so she is connected to prisoners who call her. They tell her the story. She mm-hmm. conveys it to you. Yeah. The prison doesn't confirm anything, right? Because they don't give you it that can. information. Yeah. For her to be a reliable witness, and your stories come out, and the prison does not deny it. Or And so that's the kind of state of it. Yeah. Yeah, The
0: the prison can't confirm or deny anything. All of that is sealed personal stuff. You can't really access it. But Yeah. yeah, this is what the women inside are saying about this particular individual. And Heather is extremely trustworthy. She's also been used by mainstream news outlets.
2: What is the law? When was it passed? And it's like California's in that anyone can just declare themselves to be a woman at any time and immediately be placed into a woman's prison.
0: Yeah, the law really... It was around 2018, 2019 here in Canada that the Canadian Correctional Correctional Services of Canada was really challenged on their gender self-identification policy, because prior to, I think, 2018, they had basically been saying that they were reluctant to transfer men into women's prisons because of flight risk, because Mm. they were basically saying women's prisons are so much of a lower security level, and they're constructed differently. Yeah. that a violent male inmate being transferred into a woman's prison is going to automatically be a flight risk they're going to be able to get out and they had been using that as an excuse to keep men out and then that changed when there was a discrimination suit filed by a transgender inmate who as far as i know he did murder someone and he sued the csc and the csc's policy has now shifted and because they're so afraid of being litigated against on the basis of discrimination they're basically.
2: So there was not a law, but they changed their policy in response to a human and civil rights code that that recognizes the claims of rapists, infant rapists, and murderers, child murderers, who, who declare themselves to be female.
0: That is correct, yeah. There was recently a murderer, a serial murderer in British Columbia, who did apply for transfer to a women's prison. And the only reason we know this is because the the parole, often you can, through freedom of information requests, get access to the parole decisions, parole board decisions. Yeah. And he had been seeking transfer to a women's prison. And I believe it was denied, but it was denied on a very temporary basis to that since then, I think it's been about a year, he could very well be in a women's prison now. We Mm. simply have no idea. We Mm. have no way of knowing.
2: Okay. Do we know, ha- and we don't have the ability to know how many males who identify as women are in women's prisons in Canada?
0: Uh, Heather Mason did do a freedom of information request, and I do believe she received documentation from the government with the the number. Though I can't remember the exact number. Mm. One thing that did come out from that was very stark was that uh, over fifty percent of the trans identified males in Canadian prison system. Mm. are sex offenders, mm. they are in for sexual crimes, and- which is honestly a number that mm. tracks across every single statistic that we have, no matter it be on state levels or countries, United Kingdom and the United States, where we have data, that's about the average. It's 50 mm-hmm. to 60% of trans-identified males in custody are in custody for sex offenses.
2: What, how many do we have in the U.S. nationally? And and then like half of them are sex offenders?
0: So the US, there's the Federal Bureau of Prisons, yeah. and then there's all of the, the states. Right. The Federal Bureau of Prisons, their information, it is almost exactly 50% of men mm. who identify as women are sex offenders. And then for the states that we know, like, for example, California, we know that 33% mm. of the men who have requested transfer to a women's prison are registered sex offenders. Mm. And I cannot recall the exact figure that is. Right. But I always remember the actual stats. which sure. The stats are the same for everywhere.
2: And the figures. <laughs> the same thing in
0: the United Kingdom.
2: And the figures have been published on your site, yeah. I assume.
0: We've covered them, but also people can just go and look. And I, I do remember so often we will have people getting into arguments in our replies oh, Redux unreliable, you can't trust them. So go look it up yourself. Yeah. It's there. Go look it up yourself. Don't want to because right. you're a pussy.
2: Okay. Father who sexually abused seven-year-old daughter for trans porn company, now recorded as a female offender by New Jersey Department of Corrections.
0: Yes. So this is Marina Voles, and this is a follow-up to previous coverage that we had done on Voles. He was sentenced to, I believe, 25 years for sexually abusing his own daughter. She was seven years old. Voles, along with Another trans-identified male, Ashley Romero, had run a homemade trans porn company out of their home in New Jersey. And there were two other people involved in creating this pornographic content. Now, some of it was adults. Some of it was like Voles or Romero engaging in sex with adults. But what effectively happened was the Department of Child and Family Services got a tip that there was a child present in the home where this porn was being made so they did a welfare check and when they did the welfare check they found the child in horrific conditions i believe the child had been subjected to being locked in a cage there were sex toys whips collars i think the judge called it a vortex of darkness and that's something that stuck with me because that's precisely what it was this little girl had been subjected to horrific torture. And of course, when they did forensic examination of the devices in the, the residence, they found that uh, she had been sexually abused and that pornographic content had been made of her involving Ramiro, involving Voles, and involving an adult man who was also in the residence. Voles was arrested along with the rest of them. He was initially sent to a men's prison. Um, but Ashley Ramiro, was sent to a women's prison because he was legally female. Mm -hmm. So he was automatically sent to Edna Mahan. The Edna Mahan Correctional Facility is the only women's prison in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I knew the moment Ramiro was sent to a women's prison, I knew that they would transfer voles. I just knew it. They didn't have him transferred at the time, but I was keeping my eye on it because Mm -hmm. I just knew, I knew they were going to send him to a women's prison. And it did not take very long. I believe it took a couple of weeks, a few weeks at most. Mm. And he was then transferred to Edna Mahan as well with Vols, with Ramiro. sorry. Yeah. And then this most recent update was that he has been re- reclassified in the New Jersey Department of Corrections system as that now he is uh, legally recognized as a woman by the state of New Jersey. So his crimes are recognized as being a female's crimes by the state of New Jersey. And once again, this was the sexual abuse of his own child. And one thing that I also want to note from this case, was that when I had first heard about this? It was someone had sent me an article that I believe was originally published on uh, My Jersey, which is like a, a New Jersey news site, and um, they were calling him the girl's mother. They were saying like a girl abused by her mother. Um, so they were calling Marina Voles her mother. And he he is her biological father, and he had actually taken the child from her mother. Her mother lived in Oregon. Him and Ashley Romero had actually traveled from New Jersey to Oregon specifically to take the child from her mother. Uh, I do not know the specific circumstances of how or why they were able to do that, but they effectively went, took her, brought her back to New Jersey, where they began sexually abusing her for their trans porn company.
2: So they filmed the abuse and they charged people for access to it?
0: Yes, they distributed pornography of the child. And I believe the little girl is living with her grandparents now and she's being taken care of. She's okay. She's never going to be okay, but she's safe at least. She's with her grandparents, not her mother. So I'm not sure what the specific situation was there. I believe it had to do with drugs, but they were able to take the child from her mother, bring her to New Jersey, sexually abuse her, and then they were caught
2: and then we are now are able to reunite in the women's prison.
0: Yes, and we do actually have some communications from women inside because we have a lot of contacts at Endemahan. We've covered a lot of cases at Endemahan. There are a lot of really re- disturbed men at Endemahan. Perry Surf is another one. He brutally murdered an Ecuadorian immigrant. He beat her to death. He beat her so bad that her head was almost she was almost decapitated. Um, and he's in Endemahan as well. There are a lot of very depraved men at Endemahan. And I was told by a female inmate inside that Vols and Ramiro may be planning on getting married inside so that they can share a cell at the facility.
2: Is there is security different as a result of the presence of these violent and depraved men in the women's prison?
0: No. The women have reported the exact opposite, that if they do try to bring up concerns about their safety or concerns about security or concerns about what these men are doing, their behavior, their conduct, whatever, they will be penalized.
1: Mm.
0: And we saw this in California. We actually spoke to a female inmate named Sadiq Khan, who was Sadiq Segal. I apologize. Sadiq Segal. Mm. She was actually put in isolation for attempting to report some sexual harassment she had witnessed by a trans-identified male towards a female inmate. She actually went on hunger strike while she was in solitary because she was like, this is bullshit. I should be able to talk about this. I should be able to voice my concerns and file complaints. And these women have expressed that they will actually be penalized for it. Same thing at Endemahan. They are afraid to speak out against it.
2: Oh, my God. Okay. Exclusive Australian woman left disabled following attack by trans activists.
0: Yes, the woman in this case, she asked to be kept anonymous. So we called her Ruby. And this was a story that I had originally heard about it. And I want to say September of last year, when there had been some discussion on uh, Twitter about there was one of this woman's friends was basically on Twitter saying, my friend got beaten up by a trans activist tonight and she wasn't giving any details. She wasn't allowed to give any details. I, commun- I reached out to her right away, obviously, and she was saying that because the police were involved, she wasn't sure how much she could say. And I said, OK, we're here when you need us. If you need us, if you want to talk to us, let her know our platform is her platform. So this was in, I want to say, September of last year. Fast forward to January. We hadn't heard anything from this individual until January, when I suppose she was able to finally speak to press. And why did it take that long? Because the police hadn't charged this individual this entire time. And she was waiting for the police to charge her assailant prior to speaking to the press. She was told to do that. And so she did. And when she... Told me what had happened. I was, I was completely shocked, and this was one of those stories that I had to go over the details so many times to make sure that everything was rock solid. But she provided us police reports, hospital records, so many photos, grisly photos showing her condition, as well as court records. Every she had every single piece of information that you would need to verify that everything she was saying was one hundred percent the truth. And of course, I don't do that because I disbelieve her. I do it because I want to preempt anyone who might. Mm-hmm. That's why I take it so very seriously to make sure that we have all of our information on lock, because we don't want a single person being able to say, you you sensationalized this or you fabricated this part of the story or you whatever. No, we are never reaching. And something that I beat into the heads of all of the girls at Redux, and you can ask them, is neutral tone give me the neutral news, give it to me with the facts, and that's it. That's what I like to see, and we take a lot of pride in that. But this is one of those stories that was just like so out there that I was like, how can this even be right? I had to look over everything so many times. But effectively what happened was Ruby was out with her uh, partner. They were at something called the Punk's Pub Crawl, which I guess is an annual tradition in Melbourne where, you know, uh, people get dressed up as punks, they might be in punk bands... And they go to different bars, they hang out together, they discuss music, all of this kind of thing. And she had been going since she was a kid. And she is a punk rock musician herself. And so there she was, enjoying her evening. And she gets shoulder-checked by someone who she doesn't immediately recognize as being transgender. She actually told us that because it was a punk-themed thing, That she saw this guy wearing long hair, black lipstick. She just thought he was a punk, like a dude who was wearing punk attire. She did not immediately clock him as being transgender. And when she turned around and she was like, hey man, what the fuck? People were like horrified that she had misgendered him. And here she was like, what's going on? Like, why is everybody acting weird about what I called him? Because she had used the pronoun he. Mm -hmm. And when she turns back around to walk away, because she was like, this is strange, this is weird, why is everyone reacting to me like this? She turns away, and she said she was pushed from the back with such force that she fell forward onto the pavement, and she felt her entire arm shatter. Mm. And she said the only thing that stopped her head from cracking is that her other arm basically caught the fall of her head, but her entire elbow shattered.
1: Mm.
0: or her shoulder shattered I'm sorry and uh, she had to go to hospital she was she had to get the the scans and they confirmed that she had a, a dislocated broken shoulder she had to get medical treatment and while she was in hospital her and her friend were trying to determine who that was and why they did that because for her it was just like the weirdest thing that had happened out of nowhere And through a mutual friend, she ended up learning who this individual was, that his name is Sarah Kadzow, and he is a trans activist in the community, and that he had basically been alerted to the fact that she is critical of gender ideology. He had been alerted to Mm. her Facebook page, which includes some critical posts about transgenderism. Mm -hmm. And she felt like that was the reason why he He shoulder checked her to begin with is because he was just wanting to mess around with her, knowing who she was, and she did not know who he was. And then, after misgendering him, he straight up attacked her. But the crazy part of the story is that it took police four months to charge him, Mm. and this is despite the fact that she had two witness statements who saw what happened. Yes, she had obviously her hospital records. You can see the bruising, we have other photos in the article. She was banged up bad. And she told us that after she told the police who it was and that it was a trans identified male, she said their entire tone changed. Mm-hmm. She said they went from caring and compassionate, wanting to help her and wanting to get justice for her, to basically treating her like a pariah. And it took him four months to lay charges against Kadzo. Now she is permanently disabled. A doctor has told her she can't lift her arm above her shoulder anymore, which is a particular problem considering she's a mum. She can't play basketball with her kid anymore. She can't play her bass guitar for very long, because, like I said, she's a musician. She can't hang laundry up on a line, she can't do any of that, so she is permanently disabled. A few months after this was published, Ruby came back to us and told us what the outcome of the hearing had been. He got off with five months good behaviour, which means there's no jail time, nothing like that. It's basically just has to be good for five months, not get any additional criminal charges for five months. And he will not receive a criminal record. They're going to they're gonna wipe any uh, trace of this attack from his record. And uh, when she told me that, we published another article, a follow-up, on what had happened and what the outcome of the case was. And uh, there's more to come in this. It actually gets even crazier. I'm not going to say anything yet just because she's in the thick of it right now. But we most definitely will have the story soon. And it's just insane what this woman's being put through for being assaulted. (laughs) Like, she, like this is what it comes down to. She was assaulted. Mm. And she is now basically being dragged behind a truck for having told the police that she was assaulted and having happened to have been assaulted by a transgender person. What this woman is experiencing is just mind-boggling. And the next update we have on this, hopefully, like I said, it will be out soon. And it's just you're gonna to have to pick your jaw up off the floor. You really are. It may involve me me having to to Zoom call into Australia. I will say that. Mm-hmm.
2: Unbelievable. Okay, we're gonna move on to the next misadventure into which you've more been dragged.
1: Australia.
2: Yes. Uh, Redux. <laughs> so this is a tweet that you put out in April of 2023. Redux has been contacted by the Australian government and advised to censor or delete an article we published on April 1st. The article identified a trans activist accused of injuring female players at a women's soccer match. For that, we have been told we violated Australian law. So what law did you violate? We don't know. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what happened here is, and you can see that that article we have a screenshot there. Mm-hmm. Thousands of complaints filed after a trans YouTuber was allowed to play in a women's football league and reportedly injured players. So we published that on April first, and that was actually a follow up to the original report, which was published by the Daily Mail on March thirtieth. So on March thirtieth, the Daily Mail put out an article discussing that there was a transgender player who they did not identify. Mm. who had allegedly injured female players while playing on a women's football league. Again, they didn't identify him. and But what they did do, <laughs> good old Daily Mail, they included a bunch of pictures of the individual that were really badly pixelated. <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> like, I mean really badly. Like, I, they did a bad job. Yeah. Anyway, so they just pixelated the person's face and I got a message from one of our writers, Shea Wulahan, who basically said, I know that lanky ass body anywhere. <laughs> That's Riley Dennis. <laughs> she was able to identify him through the pixelation. Yeah. And I said, okay, find me the equivalent pictures. Find me where the Daily Mail got those pictures so that we can be absolutely assured that this is the person. And sure enough, Shay, good as she is, trawled through Dennis's social media And found the exact photos that had been pixelated by the Daily Mail. So we had the exact equivalents. (laughs) And we then went through and we located the team he played on. We located where he had been uh, a placeholder on the website, all of that sort of stuff. And so effectively, we were just releasing an article identifying who it was. So we weren't even really adding anything to this conversation in terms of the original reporting by the Daily Mail, which was covering the injuries and covering the the complaints that were filed against Dennis. All we were doing was identifying who they were talking about. Yeah. We were saying, this is who it is. Mm-hmm. Riley Dennis. Right. Riley Dennis has a pretty notorious history. He's originally from the United States. He's not Australian. He moved to Australia. Mm. And he's pretty notorious because he used to be a YouTuber. And he's known for having put out videos calling lesbians transphobic for not wanting to sleep with mm, transgender males. Right. We put out this story identifying Dennis. Shortly after, closer to the end of the month, we got a, first of all, we got a notice from Twitter saying that this article that we had, of course, posted to our Twitter so that people would have to link to it, was in violation of Australian law that the the Australian government had contacted Twitter informing them that this article was in violation of Australian law they did not specify which law and then we got an email from the e-safety commissioner or it should I shouldn't really say and then it's more we saw one and then we saw the other
1: Mm.
0: because it was so very confusing but we had a letter from the e-safety commissioner informing us that the article that we had published was going to be withheld in Australia mm. because they felt like it was, you know, violating Riley Dennis's rights. And this was the e-safety commissioner, which basically what they do is they police online harassment, online abuse, things like that. And they were telling us that we had effectively broken the law we need to eat we needed they were telling us we needed to remove the article we needed to delete it or we needed to delete all references to riley dennis Mm. that were in the article yeah and they also said that it was grossly offensive that we had referred to dennis as male instead of female cry me a fucking river like i don't give a shit and i remember writing them back and saying What law specifically did we violate here? Can you cite any sort of policy? What did we do wrong exactly? And we never got a response. Yeah. This article here, this one that we screenshotted, it is withheld in Australia. So if you actually access Redux's Twitter from an Australian VPN, or if you're in Australia, you will see nothing. It's blank. And it became a big deal because we had a lot of Australian journalists asking why the Australian government was censoring overseas publications. Uh, it actually became a point of of parliamentary debate. A senator, Chal- I believe her name is Challoner, reached out to us and told us that she was going to be arguing this in parliament and asking why mm. the safety commissioner was trawling international news outlets and asking us to censor our content. We never got an answer. We never... Quite figured out what law we had violated. I do think it's a problem that Twitter does not ask. So if they get notice from an official entity that you've done something wrong, they don't ask specifically what you've done wrong. They just do it, obviously, because they're scared of litigation. They don't want to violate the laws of that country. But it will forever remain a mystery what the fuck we did wrong exactly, what Australian law we violated. We do not know. I'm not sure we ever will know. But I can tell you the Safety Commissioner saga is also definitely
2: done. So there is some international leviathan that makes it so that this story is suppressed, that makes it so that a woman who has been left disabled by a violent assault is herself, finds it a struggle to get any justice and does not get anything remotely resembling justice, that at a and what and it manifests at the level of your local fucking swimming pool, right in British Columbia or or, or on Ontario. So what is that leviathan?
0: My diatribe, right? Gender ideology and liberalism. Yeah, but I will say that it's so very funny when these trans activists or these transgender people on twitter try and claim that they are some vulnerable minority that has no protection that is being egregiously targeted and blah 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 blah. when there are governments policing content on an international level to satisfy that group of people or when you have we're going to send a male rapist a, a dude who raped his own daughter We're going to send him to a woman's prison and now classify his crime as a woman's crime. Or we're going to report in the media that it was the mother who abused the child and not him as a man or father. Like, just cry me a river. Like, literally, cry me a fucking river when you want to talk about how oppressed you are. Bullshit. Like, I call bullshit. And they've got absolutely nothing to demonstrate that they have been neglected on some gross scale as an oppressed minority oppressed minorities don't get this kind of treatment. <laughs> oppressed minorities don't get this kind of treatment. This is no longer oppressed minorities fighting back. This is a, an agenda.
2: Okay, our next story. Violent child rapist and murderer, now a featured, quote, feminists, LGBTQ
0: advocates. So this is Patricia Trimble. And this is one of the more disturbing cases involving someone who is now identifying as transgender. Now it's worth noting that Trimble is not in a women's prison because the state that he was, the state that he committed the crimes in, is not explicitly pro-gender ideology, which thank fuck for that. (laughs) But it's very little consolation considering the, the career he's made for himself. But basically what happened was Trimble, And let me look at this date here, because it's very difficult for me to recall all of these dates for all of this, this stuff that I have to troll through, as you can imagine. But this was quite a while ago. This was in the, I want to say, the 80s or the 90s, where Trimble first started his crime spree by raping two nine-year-old girls. He found two young girls playing outside. He basically lured them towards him. But under the impression that he was going to help them retrieve something to play with. And then he kidnapped them, took them out to a rural area, and he sexually assaulted them. Fortunately, he didn't kill them, and the girls were able to identify him to police, and he was arrested. But while he was in prison, awaiting trial for the sexual assault of those girls, Trimble, there's really no other word I can use for it, he enslaved one of his cellmates, who was an intellectually disabled man, and this man, by the way, was in prison for a nonviolent crime. He was in prison for something that had to do with he w- he had stolen a truck or something like this, but no one was injured. so he was in prison for a nonviolent crime. He was placed in a cell with Trimble, who was very sick in the head, and Trimble raped him, tortured him, pimped him out to other inmates to staff. He offered to sell him at one point to a prison guard for a carton of cigarettes. He would burn him. He would cut him. He just abused this young man who was intellectually disabled. He was slow, is what the judge called him. He was slow. Mm. And Trimble decided that he was going to kill this man because he didn't want him telling anybody what had happened, basically. And he concocted a plot where he was going to write his suicide note and then he was going to hang him. But the force with which he tied the towel around this guy's neck, he actually broke the guy's neck. So this whole plot that he had devised, writing the suicide note, sending it to the guy's mother, all of this sort of stuff, which first and foremost, the guy's mother was like, that's not right because he's illiterate. <laughs> My son is illiterate. How is he writing me a suicide mm. note referencing Jesus Christ and all of these things when he was not religious? And so that was what cued everybody off to that Trimble It also killed this guy. He got the death penalty mm. because the jury was allowed to take into consideration the previous sexual assault of the girls. Yeah. But his death penalty was commuted to a 50-year sentence. Mm. And while he was in prison, mm. he received some communications from an LGBT activist group, because at the time he identified as a a gay man, he identified as a homosexual. He got this like pamphlet from an LGBT group talking about gender identity Mm. and effectively decided based off of that pamphlet, this is what I've been missing my whole life. Ah, this is the reason why I'm committing crimes is because I'm actually a woman. Mm. And he transitioned. And while in prison, he became noted for fighting to get hormones, as well as assisting other inmates in getting hormones. And he has been sourced by a Harvard journal. He has been invited to do Zoom classes, give speeches at universities. He has written for policy journals. He has written op-eds for journalism projects. And he was even profiled recently, I believe. As being like a trans inmate who's struggling against the system while inside. And none of these, none of these mention what the fuck he's in prison for. <laughs> because I think if they did, then people would audit, even the most dogmatic trans activists, I think, if they heard the person they're getting the sob story from, raped two little girls, and brutally enslaved, tortured, and murdered an intellectually disabled man. I think even they would be like, maybe this isn't the best person to represent our cause. So they always neglect to mention what he's actually in prison for. But that hasn't really stopped him from gaining the notoriety that he has. And I see him pop up every now and again. He runs a Medium blog that he updates semi-regularly, talking about his struggles as a trans inmate and his time in prison and yada. But yeah, so that's Patricia Trimble. Really horrific case, and probably one of the most egregious in terms of how much is hidden from people, from these so-called oppressed, poor little me, minority group, look at me having such a hard time in a men's prison, and then this is the person who's behind those pleas for mercy.
2: Absolutely mind-bending. Yeah. All Yeah. right.
0: And I do want to apologize, by the way, for not having every single date on point. And-
2: <laughs> no, your recall is amazing.
0: <laughs> I deal with so many stories yes. on just a weekly basis. That, well, and my brain is the size of a peanut, yeah. so it's like I have to prioritize We'll, we'll <laughs> to use, prioritize information.
2: We'll use a, a link. We'll include links to every one of these stories with the podcast. All right, now here we go. I just added this. This is something, but this is an old favorite, and you can also talk about <laughs> the way the, the police dealt with this. It is transgender convicted pedophile had been watching girls undress in locker room of Canadian pool Claimed it was human his human right to access women's spaces. So this is uh, another mind bending travesty of justice that is intruding on to the daily lives of ordinary people just going about their business, and where we see the state taking the side, or at least being rather lax in their in their effort to safeguard and protect multiple women that have been peeped upon by a convicted child abuser and a mother who reported the wrongdoing and was threatened with arrest herself.
0: Yeah. So this happened in Nanaimo, British Columbia at the Nanaimo aquatic center where it was earlier this year, a mother had basically reported, and this was initially it was reported like the story was broken by other outlets, but this mother had reported that she was in the locker room with her young daughter. Her young daughter was getting dressed or undressed from having been swimming. And she had caught a man looking underneath her between the partition at her daughter changing. And she obviously, like any mother would, freaked out. The minute that she saw that, she confronted the guy. And she pulled him, like she, she physically removed him from the women's locker room. And she, she noted what he looked like. She was up close and personal with this guy, right? Mm-hmm. And she reported him to the YMCA staff, or the Aquatic Center staff, I'm sorry, not YMCA. She reported him to Aquatic Center staff, and she said, this guy was looking at my kid. And she was basically chastised for interfering with his human right. And he was saying that it's his human right to use the women's washroom and he's transgender and yada. And uh, she protested. She was threatened with having the police called on her for having objected to this man being in the space. And she had seen him. She had seen him looking at her daughter, looking under the partition, looking at her daughter. When she initially reported it, she posted it to Facebook. And as it turns out, there were multiple parents who had similar experiences with this person. And that would come out later. But we were effectively able to identify him using her. She was the one who located him. She was the one who found out who it was. Mm. She posted about it to Facebook. She warned everybody. Eva Kurlova was the lead on this story, and she spoke directly with the parents. Mm -hmm. And we looked into the individual who she had identified, and it is he was a convicted pedophile. He had been previously convicted of of child sexual, child sex-related crimes. And we put out the story with his identity. So while we hadn't broken the original story, we were doing the follow-up where we were providing that information on what the parents were saying. And again, this was multiple parents. I really want to emphasize that. Mm -hmm. And these parents didn't have anything to do with each other. So they had seen him at different times, different occasions. They had reported their stories independently. Mm
1: -hmm. These are
0: not people who were like, they were in cahoots and trying to frame this guy for something. These were all independently verified stories where they were sticking by their guns that yeah that's definitely the guy that we saw there
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and the reason why that's relevant is because after we published this story and it went viral we were contacted by him (laughs) and he was attempting to claim that we were defaming him that it wasn't him at the at the annaimo aquatic center i keep wanting to say ymca because there's been so many incidents at ymcas but that it wasn't him at the Nanaimo Aquatic Center, that we were hurting his prospects of finding employment by publishing his name, as well as the details of his past crimes, his past convictions, and that he had told the police that it wasn't him who was at the aquatic center. And uh, he gave us a name of an RCMP officer to call to verify that. And I said, certainly, if the RCMP can verify, as well as inform us of how they determine this, then we'll issue a, a correction. But the first thing that we did is so we contacted the parents and we informed them that he had reached out to us. And he said, he, he said, basically, you're lying.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they were like, no, like, this is 1000% the guy that we saw there. We interacted with him. We saw him. We went to all the parents and we said, is this still the guy? Because he's claiming you guys are lying. Mm-hmm. And uh, now to note, he would have very likely had a reason to lie in the sense that, Parole conditions, past convictions, all of these sorts of things that he would have been subjected to, it likely wouldn't have voted well for him legally. <laughs> yes, if he was identified as the person peeping at young girls underneath a locker room stall. Yes, but uh, we did. We reached out to the officer because he gave us the name of one specific officer that we absolutely had to contact. And when we tried to contact the RCMP generally, they said. It's only that person who would have any information about this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Contacted this uh, person, which she had to call me late at night because she was working the night shift. And I have never had an interaction with police that was so bad. Mm-hmm. This officer was almost on the verge of yelling at me. It felt She was furious to have to take my call. She was furious that I was asking her questions. She was overtly hostile from the moment we got on the phone. Mm-hmm. And when I say hostile, I don't use that word lightly, and I did record the call but it was a very hostile interaction. And here I was just asking questions. I was saying, I've got all these parents very insistent that it was him. And these are all people who saw him independently. They are claiming they saw him independently. They have not been in communication with each other or they weren't until very recently until after the story broke, really. And they're all verifying it and stating 100% this is the person that they saw there. So can you tell me how you cleared him? Can you tell me how you determined definitively that he was not at the aquatic center that day and she refused to tell me Mm -hmm. and i said did you launch an investigation refused to tell me Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what did you look at refused to tell me Mm -hmm. how do you know it wasn't him refused to tell me yeah she said none of that information she said that she was at liberty to give so ultimately we didn't get any verification that it was not him that was there that day and it sounds like the extent of the Investigation that had been done was basically him saying that it wasn't him. (laughs) Yeah. Him saying it wasn't him, the police going, oh, okay. And then wanting to fight the press when we asked him, how did you actually make that determination? Did you launch an investigation? Do you have any proof? Mm. I tried to ask so many questions. And at the end, I remember just laughing because I could not believe that she was being so hostile and unwilling to give. When I say unwilling to give me a single shred of information, just one. I just needed one one little piece of information for her to tell me oh yeah okay so i reviewed this and this is how i determined that he was not there and refused nothing refused to give me a single piece of information we we affixed a note to the bottom of this article uh discussing the interaction that we had with police yeah as well as discussing his claims Mm. but at this time we have not been able to access any verification that it wasn't him at the aquatic center and the parents who after our conversation with police we went back to them We relayed what happened, and they said, "No, we're sticking by our story. It's him. (laughs) It's definitively him." And the woman who was threatened with arrest, she also said, "No, I'm not backing down on my statement. She she would not issue any sort of correction to the story." I said, "Is there anything we should change in the story?" "No, (laughs) no." And I'm going to go with the word of multiple parents over the word of a convicted pedophile as reasons why he wouldn't have wanted to be caught peering at little girls. Every single time, and I don't feel like that's journalistically irresponsible, considering the measures that we took to try and verify the story.
2: So he is in violation of the terms of his release. I
0: believe he would have been. Yeah,
2: he's a convicted pedophile, and he was not supposed to have contact with anyone or be in the same room as anyone under the age of twelve. And he has access to the woman's because of his trans identification, his self identification, or I guess when he was in prison, he did some. He took some steps, and and the police don't want to... Now, did any of those other parents, they said that they had seen him doing similarly shady things. Did any of them also report him to the staff at yes, the pool? Yes, there,
0: there had been reports to uh, the Nanaimo Aquatic Center from multiple parents. And we'd also reached out to the Nanaimo Aquatic Center, and we said, do you know the person who had been accessing your facilities? And I remember having an interaction with the Aquatic Center staff where they from my recollection of the interaction that i had with aquatic center staff because i was assisting uh, eva with writing the story um they were in panic mode (laughs) yeah (laughs) they were in panic mode because they would have had his details they would have had his name now what name he actually gave them i'm not sure but we gave them the names that we had for him and they seemed to know we were talking about right away. right? And they effectively gave us a no comment, but there was a definite panic when we called and we asked to speak to management about them allowing this person in. Yeah, so the parents haven't backed down. They wouldn't put any sort of adjustments to their statement at all. And police were unwilling to give us any details on how they actually cleared this guy, or even if they did fully.
2: Is is there going to be any, is he going to be allowed back into that facility?
0: (laughs) That's a follow-up that that Eva is going to be doing. Okay.
2: Who is the angel that sits on the—who is his guardian angel that that makes both swimming pool staff and the police want to take this hands-off position on someone who multiple parents have said is doing something that is threatening to our children, A, and B, who it turns out is under a court order after his imprisonment and conviction— of the sexual assault on a nine-year-old girl. What force um, is protecting this person?
0: Yeah, if we're going to speak specifically about Canada, it's definitely going to be human rights law. <laughs> and everybody's afraid of being dragged before human rights tribunals or being litigated against in that way. Don't you have everybody's a free hand afraid.
2: against a convicted pedophile? The human rights tribunal is protects the convicted pedophile who is under a court order, who has multiple witnesses, saying, this person was peeping at my daughter. It's incredible.
0: I know. But there really is a tremendous amount of protection for these people, which again goes back to what I was saying about their their claims of being vulnerable, their claims about being a minority. Mm. When you can have someone who simply by identifying into that group can have protection even from their criminal status of sexually abusing children, if it's that powerful, if that word is that powerful, if that group is that powerful, that you can even have sexually abused children, and that is now verboden. We we cannot talk about it. That's okay, whatever. Let's just brush it off, put it under the carpet, whatever. That's a pretty powerful group. <laughs> That's a pretty powerful group. And when you have also these rules. Even if you wanted to bring it up, okay, fine, we're going to bring it up. But we have to respect their identity. We have to talk about it in the very specific way. We're not allowed to take away that power from them, ever. Mm. Vulnerability my ass. Right. That's not... The, con- the, no... the
2: convicted pedophile sex assaulter must be referred to as a woman. He says so. He says so. Okay. Top academic behind fetish site hosting child sexual abuse fantasy, push to revise WPATH guidelines. So, this came out before the WPATH conference, is that right?
0: W WPATH has conferences all the time. Oh, but,
2: but this. Did but the, come the, out the one where this standards of care. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The one where this, this is, was uh, revealed,
2: and there was a. So I, I obtained a recording of the uh, session that was done on this, and mm-hmm. I hosted it on my site. But this had come out months before. I guess it turned yeah. out. Go in. Go into this one.
0: <laughs> so this was this was actually a follow up to the original report that Genevieve Gluck did on this very thing. Mm because it was months of work that she put into this investigation, because this was truly like a deep dive that she had to do. She had to gain membership to a private website and deep dive into the forum and the private password-coded members-only versions of the site or backends of the site. She had to do so much work to get... This was good old-fashioned investigative journalism. And the fact that this did not, cause a bigger stink has been (laughs) has very much been a point of grumblings the redux back ropes. this i feel like the reason why this did not set the world on fire yeah is simply because it's one of those things that how can this possibly be true and to accept this as true yeah would almost be to challenge our very understanding of everyone who's in any position of power whatsoever Mm. Because it is one of those things that feels like it can't possibly be true without us having had done some like insane reach Mm -hmm. into something that couldn't possibly be the case. And we're just connecting dots like QAnon freaks. Yeah. When this is, this couldn't possibly be more point A to point B to point C. (laughs) Yeah. And effectively what Genevieve had found was that she had seen the draft standards of care. So WPATH, for those who aren't familiar, is the World Professional Association of Transgender Health. They're basically the guideline setter for um, medical transitioning or for the treatment of transgender individuals on a global scale. Mm-hmm. They include membership of doctors, surgeons, therapists. Everyone abides by and defers to WPATH. Mm-hmm. And they revise their standards of care on occasion. And these standards of care do include, by the way, the standards for treatment of transgender youth, of which WPATH has always been a big proponent of medically transitioning minors. Mm -hmm. Surgery, hormones, puberty blockers, all of it, they're very pro all of that. Yes. Anyway, so when the draft standards of care was released, and this was their newest edition, draft standards of care eight, Genevieve had noticed that There was a really odd citation in the draft standards of care Mm -hmm. of something called the eunuch archives. Yes. And they had been discussing the concept of a eunuch gender identity. And for those who don't know what a eunuch is, it's a man who's been castrated, willingly castrated, a man who wants to be castrated. They might not even identify as a woman. It has nothing to do with gender necessarily. It's just they want to be castrated. So when Genevieve saw this, she deep dived into this eunuch archives that was being sourced by WPA. Yeah. And she found this whole world of depravity yeah. of these men who were many of which the administrators of this ancient archaic forum called the eunuch archives. Boasting about working with WPATH, boasting about working with the American Psychological Association, boasting about working with different major groups to have them recognize a unique gender identity as well as guide them on treatment standards for transgender people and eunuchs. And all of these people are anonymous on the forum. One of the major people on the forum calls himself Jesus. Another one, Takes these very strange videos of himself wearing a nun's habit. Mm. And he fashions himself in these very strange YouTube videos that we found speaking to children about sex or condoms or all of this sort of thing while wearing this very strange nun's outfit. So Genevieve basically compiled all of her work and we published her mega document on WPath and the eunuchs and how these men had been involved in creating the draft standards of care and the kinds of things that they were doing on the forum, which included publishing fictional child sexual abuse fantasies. Mm. So that was a big part of the forum was that they had this password secured part of the site that featured stories that you could actually filter to include the stories about minors specifically. And these stories would be about children being castrated or children being sexually abused or children being participating in the castration of others, really sick shit. Nazi themes, eugenics themes, age of consent laws being eradicated, all of this kind of stuff. These were fantasy stories that were being hosted through the UNIC archives. That was, again, being sourced by the largest transgender health authority on the planet. So we published that mega document. And at the time, we could not decipher who... The main guy was Jesus, who this guy was, who was saying that he had worked with all of these different academic forums, all of these different uh, WPATH scholars participating in WPATH conferences. We couldn't figure out who he was. Not too long after, we figured out who he was. And he is actually a professor emeritus at the University of California in Chico. His name is Thomas Johnson, and he is a castration fetishist. And he has been working intimately with the American Psychological Association, with various academic facilities, with WPATH. And there were two other academics also involved in the castration Fetish Forum. One of them is a professor from Canada, and one of them is an academic elsewhere in the United States. And all three of them, all three of these well-regarded academics, had been working closely with WPATH as well as participating in and maintaining this forum dedicated to castration fetishism that include child sexual abuse fantasies. Again, what I just said sounds fucking insane. (laughs) These are words that don't belong in the same sentence. You've probably never heard them in the same sentence before. You'll never hear them in the same sentence again. Uh, You'll never hear a story like this again. But this is all 100% true. It's not a stretch. It's not a reach. This is not various random pieces of information. We're conspiracy theorizing together. This is, we will walk you through every single detail. And it is not a far, it is not a far reach to go from point A to point B. It's right there. It's in the standards of care themselves.
2: Thomas Johnson, and he wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post where he advised ISIS not to behead its prisoners, but instead to castrate them and to turn them into a class of administrative castrati, similar to the class of slaves that helped to run the Ottoman Empire. And so he was giving advice to the caliphates about how they might bring back the institution of the eunuch he saw a political opportunity in ISIS to, to make his fantasies come to life in the world. But he was a little ahead of his time because it turned out that ISIS was not the proper vehicle to realize his fantasies. It was the World Professional Association of Transgender Health that would end up fulfilling his dreams. And in <laughs> fact, so they, they added a whole chapter where they designated eunuch as a gender identity that would be a, uh, a, a legitimate justification for the castration of of, of a person who quote-unquote identified as a eunuch. And less than a year later or some months later, the yeet-the-teets TikTok surgeon who advertises cutting off breasts... To young people on TikTok began advertising, taking her cues from the from the standards of care eight, the gold standard of transgender healthcare, to advertise eunuch surgery. So making herself available to those who identify as eunuchs. Not even identifying as members of the opposite sex. This is not gender affirmation surgery. This is eunuch confirmation surgery that she was openly advertising to people on TikTok.
0: It feels extremely bizarre to think that there's some weird cabal of eunuchs who want to bring back the institution of castration and create an underclass of. Servants of the administration, servants of the rulers, based off of their desire to be castrated. (laughs) But it's happening. (laughs) I don't know what to say. (laughs) It feels like there's this collective shrug around. It's like when they were confirming that aliens existed, and it was like, oh, okay. Like, why not?
2: (laughs) I keep tweeting out the Washington Post piece. The Washington Post published this fucking piece of a Western academic advising ISIS to stop beheading and start castrating their prisoners. And it never goes viral. It doesn't, people, I don't understand. And so I have a similar sense of disappointment. Uh, yeah, it's
0: definitely one of those <laughs> things. Genevieve talks about it all the time. Jam, why didn't this pick up more traction? Why don't people care about it more? And it's because they don't, because this would break their brains if they truly tried to wrap their heads around what this is. These stories, I'll say, this is my prediction, and this is for you too, Wesley, is give it a year. Give it a year and we might be there. Give it a year and we might be there. It's just not time yet for this to be a thing that takes off because people are still convinced that because of all the QAnon shit and Pizzagate and people are just conspiring and inventing boogeymen in their head that don't really exist, they think that we're reaching here. And we're really not. We're not reaching at all. There's no reaching to be done. All we did was show you this and this thing here it is here's all the evidence you need and they still can't believe it because it's not something that can be believed again it will break their brains if they truly wrap their head around it but i will say the w path shit is far from over and genevieve has another stew stewing right now that hopefully will get more legs than the castration cabal did
2: (laughs) oh my god okay here we go okay Man who
0: why oh, I look very shiny right now.
2: Man who beat two babies to death, allegedly waiting breast implants at California women's prison.
0: Yes. So this is Jessica Hahn. And uh, Jessica Hahn was actually one of the... This is another story on Hahn, but we actually released one last year when we were fairly new still. And so it didn't really pick up a lot of traction. But Hahn... As a serial baby murderer, basically he killed both of his his first children. He beat them to death. The first one, it was within, it was in the late 90s, and it was within a couple weeks of the child being born. And the second one, a very similar story. He traveled with their corpses for a little bit, and as well as the mother of the babies who she had in herself been victimized she had been threatened that she was going to be killed and i can only imagine that she had a tremendous amount of psychological trauma watching her psychotic husband beat her children to death but of course she is somewhat complicit in the sense that she did never go to police and she would have she was charged eventually with with one of the deaths for her involvement in the fact that she never went to police not that she participated in the murder itself but so yeah han b two of his infant children to death, and when police finally caught up with him, he was in the process of beating his third to death. There was a one-year-old in their custody when they were finally caught at a a motel where the child was on the verge of death. I believe the child was one years old, had a number of bodily injuries, was malnourished, had been starved, had been beaten. But fortunately, they did rescue the child, and, and he's okay. But yeah, Han... Beat both of his infants to death. They found one in a storage locker in Arizona, one corpse in a storage locker in Arizona. They found another in a Tupperware on board an RV that had been repossessed by him and sold at auction. The new owner found the RV with the child's body in it and called police and they were able to track him down using his connection to the RV and that's when he would ultimately be caught. He was initially placed in a men's prison. He was placed in San Quentin, which is actually the toughest prison in the United States. It's a men's prison in California. Like the worst of the worst go to San Quentin. The worst of the worst. And he did receive a death penalty. So he was on death row at San Quentin. Um, He began identifying as a woman in, I believe it was either 2018 or 2019. Uh, he began identifying as a woman, requesting makeup, um, accessories, hair accessories, feminine undergarments, feminine clothes, all of this sort of thing. Um, and he would actually be transferred to the Central California Women's Facility before SB 132 even kicked in. So this was before the California self-identification law was even on boarded. He, he was transferred before that. So California was already quite permissive. (laughs) So he was transferred from death row at San Quentin to death row at the Central California Women's Facility. The California governor, Newsom, actually put a pause on all death sentences. So when he was transferred to death row at the Women's Prison, he was basically just placed in a cursory observation period because that's how death row inmates were being treated is that they were going to be put in a cursory observation period before being released into general population. Because he couldn't keep them on death row while there were no executions happening in the state. So he was transferred to a women's prison, put in the cursory observation period on death row at the women's prison. And then he was set to be released into the general population of the facility. But here's the crazy part. His wife, or his ex-partner, the mother of the children who he killed, was in general population at that facility. And she was terrified. Because he had threatened to kill her, that was the whole reason she had never gone to police. She had been abused herself by him, and he had threatened to literally murder her. Mm. So they were going to release this guy to his wife, basically that he had threatened to kill. He was just going to they were going to turn him loose on her, basically, and she had to file, and she did not know this, she had to file for an emergency transfer. That was only granted three days before he was released into general population. Mm-hmm. She was so close to not getting out of there. And we had spoken to an incarcerated women's advocate in California, Emia Chikawa, who has a lot of communication with the women inside. That's what she had said. They didn't think that they were going to approve it on time. They didn't think that they were going to be able to get her out of there before this guy was turned loose. But fortunately, she was moved. She was moved to another women's prison in the state and he's now in general population at central california women's facility and this story was after we were told by our sources that he had been moved to the medical unit because he had been approved for breast implants and they were preparing to give him breast implants they moved him from general population into the medical ward because he was now on the waiting list to get the breast implants and this is again a man who beat two tiny little babies to death with his bare hands.
2: So you have prisoners who've done horrible things. They become born-again Christians in prison. And this idea of being born again, right? Like you can become a whole other person, and that's one of the things that transgenderism offers, both like a whole other person and then also a trauma story of the denial of your authentic self that can help justify the horrible things that you did all connected to this idea that we're going to make things innocent and we're going to manufacture this new population of the innocent and clean transgender youth who, who become our successors, who also become a kind of PR campaign on behalf of giving us access to women's spaces and identities through this ideology that there is some immutable, intangible, non-observable Gender identity that is known only to oneself that others must defer to. That can also be a kind of place where you, because if it's, if that was always true of oneself and one has lived a terrible life, it's because one lived in a transphobic society that pushed one into these evil deeds. And so you can wash clean your sins by both becoming who you always were and also becoming a whole other person. And so we see the way this. All of these needs are satisfied by this movement, and you have all of these people on the outside who want to participate, want to affirm all of those narratives and want to allow you to be moved into the woman's prison in order to be the kind of ultimate proof of con- concept of the immutability and truth of the woman within, which is supposedly, it has no relation to all of the terrible things one did
0: yeah and the interesting uh, part about that because what you said just reminded me of a couple of cases that we've seen so far in the u.s with trans-identified male inmates claiming that the crimes that they had committed were their male self and not their new female Uh, self this happened most notably with donna perry who's at the washington women's prison he's a serial killer he killed three women yeah but claims to have killed many more but he was convicted of killing three women yeah and That was like a huge point is basically he killed these women. He flew off to Thailand to get sex reassignment surgery. So he got the full everything. Right. And when he was finally caught, which happened to be incidentally, he was caught on uh, something unrelated. And then they managed to connect him to the crimes. He basically argued in court that it wasn't him who had done it. It wasn't him. It wasn't Donna who did it. It was his previous male self. And his previous male self was separate from this new person that he was. Yeah, this wasn't even like a necessarily a legal strategy in the sense that they were actually trying to claim that there are two separate people. They were trying to claim that he had no association between his male self is just a totally different person. Mm. Like he does not recognize that as having been him. Uh-huh. I've actually seen this a couple of times. It seems to be cropping up more frequently yeah. now, where some of these transgender inmates, they truly have this disassociation of self in the sense that Mm -hmm. they believe that once they transition, they truly are not that other person.
1: Mm.
2: Okay. This is just 10 headlines of the more than the thousand that you have done. I think these, you threw a dart, but we also, there's some of the worst things uh, that you have dredged up over the time, or are they just the median? (laughs) Uh, Would you say that you have these stories that are supposed to change everything because they're just so off the chain? Some of them have an impact. Some of them are disappointing in their impact precisely because they are so crazy, as you described. How many stories do you think you reported that if people really allowed them to sink in would just leave them irrevocably changed? And I'm sure they all irrevocably changed
1: you.
0: Even the ones that we're discussing right now. Yeah if people the average person the normie not the person who's terminally online like we are and we're actually like looking at this stuff all the time right but if the average normie was actually taking a look at this and and taking it seriously i don't think they like i said it would break their brains they wouldn't understand how so many because this all of these stories they might be different in their own little ways They might be different in their locations and they might be different in the exact subject matter but they do have this continuity of That they require the complacence of so many institutions. So many things need to be in place to make all of this happen. So many people need to be complicit. So many policies need to have been passed. So many documents have to have been signed. So many people in positions of power are aware that this is happening.
2: So much complicity.
0: Yeah, and I feel like that is really the the thing that would fuck with people a bit. Is like how how can you let that happen? How can you let how can how can an institution take a dude who killed two babies, who was in the worst men's prison, one of the worst prisons in the world? I think San Quentin is like top ten worst prisons in the world. Take him from the worst prison in the world, put him into a women's cupcake factory Mm. with his ex wife, who he threatened to kill. Mm. And now they're giving him breast implants on the public dime. what <laughs> How many people signed off on this exactly? How many people didn't give a shit? How many people couldn't question it? Why couldn't they question it? like there's it never mind the participation of the media mm. who has not a single bit of interest in covering these things, and if they do cover them covering them accurately, mm. fuck that. We're gonna call the dude who raped his seven year old daughter We're gonna say it's his mother, it's her mother. Yeah. Who raped her? We're going to call him as a woman. There are stories out there. Yeah. That you would not know that the individual is transgender. We had to like look into it and be like, wait a second, why are they reporting this as a woman? And it's made people so wary. And so the people who are aware, it's made them weary. The people who aren't aware, they will never be aware. They have no way. They've got no literacy for it.
2: It occurs to me there's no chance I can put this on YouTube. <laughs> can I? <laughs> I could put it on Substack, right? And I can put it on Twitter. But this is going to, just by reporting the facts, just by, in a very neutral way, reporting the facts, every week is a volume in the most transphobic text in the history of all humankind. And it's being written in our reality week after week. Not by you, but by the, our reality. Oh,
0: yes, by me. <laughs>
2: But it's not. The publication is just transcribing the reality that is producing these just these incredibly mind bending stories that all have in common the total corruption of of public authority and the total absence of adults in the room. I got an email the other day from a doctor who's I recently retired and I can tell you for sure that 15 years ago there is no chance that we would be doing that anybody doing these pediatric surgeries and would have immediately been disciplined and removed from the profession and then he's there there are IRB boards he just listed in a few sentences the the ethical oversight that that has to that for allow you to do anything that in any way deviates from a, a well established standard of care and to and he's it is totally incomprehensible to me how in 15 years while i was doing my ordinary medicine the the degree of corruption of one individual one institution one whose job it is to make sure that we don't do anything that that isn't evidence based that isn't right that that hasn't been carefully vetted and a risk reward calculus done with great rigor We have an enormous system that's supposed to prevent any deviation from that. And yet, and so he doesn't have an answer. I don't have an answer. So many of our systems had to be hacked and weaponized against reason, reality, common sense, and morality in in order to allow even one of these things to happen once, much less fill an online publication every week with a half dozen of these things.
0: breakneck next speed that I'm changing. Because it went from a trickle to you had your Donna Perry and your Dana Rivers, and these were sort of those classic cases where at the time, I'm absolutely... You can go and look at the news archives and you can see how it was reported then as just freaks of nature, like just complete spectacles. Yeah. What the fuck is going on here? Yeah. To that now you have men being reported as women after committing the most violent sexual crimes possible with their dicks. Now you have the media treating this like it's sacrosanct and we need to protect them because like the institutional capture was so fast because (laughs) so fast
2: because one to three or usually just one like transgender activists is on staff and they just managed to control the newsroom.
0: and And then they and then they, the transgender journalist association and then they
2: rewrote the style guides
0: yeah the transgender journalist association or yeah it's called the tja they are a group of trans activists they're mostly transgender themselves who they are like how they got the amount of power that they did but even the al jazeera is promoting their style guide and it's a style guide that's utilized by most mainstream outlets yeah and amongst the people who have contributed to the creation of the style guide is a daily dot writer who of which you know journalistic excellence surely he should be guiding major mainstream publications who has written and spoken extensive pornographic fantasies about raping women who he disagrees with politically yeah And he is contributing to the style guide. He's on the board of the TJA. Yeah. The steering committee, I should call it. Yeah. Who has issued the style guide that's now being used. And in that style guide, I should say, because I read it, it, they explicitly state that if it's a transgender person who has been charged in a crime, convicted of a crime, who's involved in something awful, they almost, without saying it explicitly, but implying it to the point that is the only conclusion that you could possibly draw, kill the story yeah kill the story or bury it yeah kill the story or bury who did it yeah don't mention their transgender status if it's a negative story don't talk about right the fact that it was a transgender person who did it don't bring their gender identity into it this is the reason why you actually have to look into shit to find out now are we dealing with a transgender person or an actual woman we we had that case out of the uk i think it was last week and there was basically a story that was circulating within the circles that Redux operates within that was a woman, a female named Samantha. (laughs) This was being reported by all the local news stations. This was in the United Kingdom, had been arrested and charged for exposing indecent exposure Mm. as well as possessing child sexual abuse images and all of the media that covered it Mm. referred to samantha as a woman and a female not a single one mentioned gender identity or gender or transgender status or anything so you had all these people online speculating Mm. because they were like sure okay yeah of of course there are females who can be sexual predators. it is exceedingly rare Mm. Let alone, I'm going to expose myself as a woman to two little girls while possessing child pornography. We're talking about fractional possibility of that being a female. And so we reached out to the police that were involved in the case because we noticed that in their official press release on the charge, that they referred to this person with gender neutral pronouns and then the red flag went up immediately because i was like wait a second if this was a woman they'd say she yeah (laughs) they'd say she so we reached out to the police and one of the officers did state that this individual identifies as Mm. a woman and that we couldn't say in the article and we were very responsible in saying we won't know for sure it's not a sure thing that it's a male yes we didn't get that confirmation all we could report is precisely what they said. There's a few things there that lead you to the conclusion that you need to. But it's how many stories like that are out there. Yeah. I wonder. Right. Because this just happened to circulate online. Otherwise, we would have never heard of it. How many stories are out there of woman did X and it's actually a do?
1: Yeah.
0: How is this impacting crime statistics?
1: Yeah.
0: How is this impacting resource management? Right. There's, <laughs> it's mind boggling to think about how this is thoroughly fucking with the criminal justice system but
2: anyway okay we're on the home stretch this is a story has a lot of insane details there's i skimmed it very briefly and there's one insane detail that i want to add because i don't see it in the story so anyway just go over it and then let's talk about it this is violent transgender killer complete sentence for torture murder of 13 year old child
1: You are about to embark upon the great crusade. Please, the old myth. Uh, the eyes God. of the world are upon you. Not
2: the be, deal. be. No I saw it happen. And then begin to
1: inculcate our babies with the no
2: Do you have a martyr complex? Let me tell
1: you, we all make... Like do you have a militant attitude relative to the area of civil rights? Your task will not be an the easy one. The road ahead will be long. We're going to make sure that society wins.